for those of you going to stay with us, let's get Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. And uh, this morning we're, we're going in deep. Da- Daniel chapter 8 is one of those chapters that requires a little bit of uh, time and patience and uh, a shovel, if you will, because you're going to have to do some digging and we're going to turn to plenty of cross-references as we go. So Daniel 8, <clears throat> the chapter breaks into two parts, verses 1 to 12. There's a vision revealed, and then the rest of the chapter, 13 to 27, is the vision explained. Much like we had in Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel explains the vision, and then there's some help. There's an angel that comes in and explains, and he had some questions. What about this and that? And then it's, it gets explained. The chapter does explain itself, thank God. But not every detail is filled in. So remember, when we deal with prophetical things, guys, we're looking through the glass darkly. We only know what we're told, and then we can do some cross-referencing, look in other places in the Bible where we have prophecies about the same event, and fill in the picture. But we have to admit our limitations on this side of history, looking through that glass darkly, we, we only can work with the details we have. Daniel 7 was a very broad view. You had four kingdoms mentioned that took you all the way to the end of, end of the millennial kingdom, right? You started with Babylon, and you have almost 3,000 3, years worth of history mentioned there. Chapter 8 is not quite that broad, all right? It's, it's narrowed down a little bit, and we're going to talk about two kingdoms, and then it's going to shoot out into the future. So let's just start in verse 1, and you'll see how this breaks down. In verse 1 it says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, or Belshazzar. So just so that you have the timing in your mind, in chapter 7, verse 1, the first year of Belshazzar, Daniel had that vision. So this is now a couple of years later. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first, referring to Daniel 7. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan, in the palace. Now, Shushan, another word you'll find in history books for it is Susa, S-U-S-A. And Daniel is seeing himself in the vision, right? So he is, he, he is physically, he's there in Babylon, but he is seeing himself in this vision in Susa, which is a different territory altogether. He says, I, I, it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam or Elam. So forgive me, I don't have a map to show you here this morning, but if you look at the Persian Gulf, uh, shooting up from the Persian Gulf going north and west, you have the Euphrates and the Tigris River, all right, the kind of bunny ears off. So that is the land of what we, on a modern map, would call Iraq. If you just follow the Euphrates River up and keep going west, that's Iraq. If you go east, that's Iran. And then I'm going to turn and do it in your direction. You have Iraq on this side. You have Iran on this side, and then down, kind of tucked away in the southwest corner of Iran and the southeast corner of Babylon, you have Elam, all right, what we're dealing with there. So I'm just trying to give you the picture in your mind of where he's at. He says, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Ulai, or Ulai, all right, again, just one of, that's coming right up out of the Persian Gulf there. Verse 3, then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river, a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but the one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. So where he's at in Shushan, this is like the headquarters for the Median 
Persian kingdom or Medo-Persian kingdom. Those are the people that took over right after Babylon. So what Daniel has seen is what's about to happen, not too many years, actually just a, a couple of years from this time period. Now, as I said, the chapter explains itself. So come on down, look at verse number 15. It came to pass, I and I, Daniel, had seen the vision, sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be number four. It says, uh, And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward. So notice he doesn't go eastward. And that's because on this map that I've kind of drawn in the air for you, he's already in the east, so he's going west and then up and down from, from there. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. This is exactly true to history. For a, for a time, no one could stand before these, this two-horned ram. It just decimated. In verse 5, And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground. Guys, that does not mean he was in a UFO or in a plane or anything like that. When it says he touched not the ground, it's just a, a poetic way of saying he moved extremely fast. He was very quick in his movements. So we know, again, look at verse 21. We have the interpretation. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Uh, history books will tell us clearly this is Alexander the Great. So coming back to verse number five, I, as I was considering, behold, an he-goat, Greece, came from the west. Right? If you just look at the map, you can see it's very west from Persia. On the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. So when Alexander raised up his army and went to take over the empire, all of the empires at that point, he had about 35,000 soldiers in his army. He was taking on the Median Persians that had approximately a million. But Alexander was so fast. He moved so quickly. Remember in chapter 7, the kingdom of Greece was likened to a leopard. And those are very quick, fast creatures. So he's, he's moving so fast, you can't keep up with him. You, he's a blur. He's the flash. <laughs> so with only... Uh, Relatively speaking, a small group of men, 35,000, he moved so quickly, he, he couldn't be dealt with. They couldn't overcome him. So Alexander then takes over Media Persia, and Alexander takes over much of the then known world. And, and he even pushes farther east, goes all the way to India, and establishes part of his kingdom there. So verse 5 in the middle, and touch not the ground, and the goat had a notable, notable horn between his eyes. So there's well, let's call it what it is, a unicorn. <laughs> right? Whenever we find a freakishly good, um, if we're talking about sports, if somebody is freakishly good at that sport, it's commonly, we call them two things. If it's the player who's really good and he's unusually good, we, we call him a unicorn. Because he's so rare. Where do you ever see it? You know the other thing we call really good players? A goat. You, you know this, right? He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time, G-O-A-T. So strangely enough, the Bible was kind of ahead of that acronym, <laughs> a notable horn between his eyes. So 
Here is this unicorn. Alexander was in 12 years. Guys, he started when he was 20. And then he died at the age of 33. In, in, it was about 12 and a half years in a very short time. You can take from just about Spanish, that area, all the way to India and down into North Africa in 13 years. That is incredibly fast. That's moving fast. Most of the time, you don't, you don't hear about an empire spreading like that. It takes three, four hundred years sometimes to spread. He did it in 13. So the Bible had it perfectly right. He moved very fast, touching not the ground, if you want to use that poetic language. Verse 6, And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with collar against him. Now, collar is an old English word we don't use very often. I have no problems with the word. You can figure it out by the context, right? He's angry. But um, ladies, moms, help me out here. When the baby has problems at night and won't stop crying, it's called what? Colic. That baby's so angry. (laughs) Maybe it's not anger, right? But that baby just, oh my goodness, it won't stop. It's just nonstop crying. That's collar, just all the time, nonstop going at it. Right, move with collar against him and smote the ram and break his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. All right, exactly true to what we now know as the history of it. Alexander decimated that kingdom and took it over. Verse 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. As I've mentioned, he was 33 at maybe the pinnacle, the height of his, his uh, career, if you want to call it that, his political career, and then he, he died. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. We've already mentioned these guys. When we studied the leopard, it had four heads. This is the same thing. Now it's just referred to as four horns. We're going to see it again in Daniel chapter 11, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. But Alexander's kingdom was divided to four generals, not to his son because his son was just an infant at the time. And his four generals took the kingdom of Greece, and it does go in four different directions, so towards the four winds. So just moving quickly here, there was one kingdom for Macedonia, or what we would now just say Greece. Another kingdom was Thrace, which today we would say Bulgaria. Then another kingdom was Syria, and another kingdom was Egypt. So it was split in those four directions. Now, what's going to happen in Daniel chapter 8 is the focus is going to go into one of those empires. So we're not going to read anything else about Macedonia, Thrace, or Egypt. We're going to talk just about that Syrian horn or that Syrian king. It says in verse number 9, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. Now, in history, if you go back and you read about the, this is what we call the Seleucid Empire. The, the Seleucid, Seleucid was a man, or Seleucia was a man who reigned in, in Syria. Now, that, that man, after his empire got established, they just called it the Seleucid Empire. There were many different men that reigned over it, but you have one man that really stands out from the rest, and he was called Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means God manifest. 
So he claimed to be God manifest in the flesh to a, to a certain extent, not the same way that Jesus did or the way we'd understand it, but he said he represented God on, on earth. This is all, he's also known as Antiochus IV, just if you want to know the historical terms for it. This man did some horrible, horrible things. The abomination of desolation, we're going to read briefly about it here. We'll talk more about it in later chapters. He was guilty of committing a, a version thereof. He, in 168 AD, December the 25th, he walked or went into the Jewish temple and just out of sheer spite and envy and anger, he had been spurned by the Roman army and he couldn't fight back against the Romans because they would just wipe him out. They were too strong. So instead of attacking the Romans, he on his way back home, he was in Egypt when he got spurned by the Romans, he's going back up through Israel to go to Syria, and he thought, let me take out my anger on the Jews. So he stopped in their temple and killed a pig and sacrificed it on their altar, which for a Jew, that's an unclean animal, and that was an, ab an abomination that made the temple desolate. And for the next three years, Antiochus, he made all these rules that it was basically illegal to be Jewish. And so many Jews were put to death. You had the death penalty just for honoring the Sabbath. He made the Jews to where they'd have to offer up swine's blood and flesh and so forth in the temple. And it, it was a disaster of a time. For three years, that went on. And then after that time, you have what we call the Maccabean Revolt. Judas uh, Maccabeus, he raised up, uh, you know, kind of rose up, I should say, and started to fight back. And then that's another story. I'm just telling you that Antiochus Epiphanes, he did go southward and eastward. He, he went to the pleasant land. Antiochus did do some of this. But we're going to go way beyond just what Antiochus did. Right? So remember in verse 9 it says, there came a little horn. Right? That little horn is the position or the office, not just the man. So through this kingly line of Syria, let me show you where it's going to end up. Come, go over a little... Farther in the chapter, verse 21, the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Right? So Alexander's kingdom split four ways. Verse 23, and in the, help me with the next two words, latter time. Do you see that? In the latter time. So when we have the interpretation of this vision, we are told that the little horn we're reading about is not just Alexander, four kingdoms, and then the next king after that. It, it, there's a big jump forward in the story. This little horn we're reading about, sure, Antiochus did some things that kind of picture it. It, it alludes to what's going to happen in the last days. There is a correlation, but we're jumping forward prophetically to the latter time. Keep reading in verse 23. In the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full. Guys, Antiochus went into the temple in 168 BC. Things were bad, but the transgressors were not come to the full by that point. You know when it is coming to the full? When it's being filled up? Right now. Right? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Things morally now are going to get progressively worse and worse. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, verse number 13, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. 
That, that's what, and we're seeing, verse 23, come to pass. When the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And it says, verse 24, get a little bit of it there, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. You're no longer talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Now you're talking about somebody else. And this is where we're going to have to slow down and take a longer look at who this little horn is. We've already discussed this before, but we're reading about the Antichrist. And he, it says, is going to be mighty, but not by his own power. All right, so have that in your mind. Let's come back to verse number eight, uh, verse number 10, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 10. And let's continue on with what we have here. All right, so we're, as we come to these verses, probably next week, we'll talk more about verse 23, 24, and 25. But in verse 10, it says, and it waxed great. All right, now, I've, we've already read on the other side of the chapter, not by his own power, right? But he waxed great. Even to the host of heaven. Wow. It waxed so great, it starts taking on, and I say it because I'm referring to it as the little horn. The Antichrist starts taking on angels. The host of heaven. Now that's, that's an incredible kind of a claim. Now, why would he be doing that? How could he do that? Why would he pick a fight with angels? In verse 10, it waxed great even to the host of heaven. Look what it did. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars. Stars in the Bible are angels in many cases. Now, of course, you have physical stars that are in the sky. I mean, that's, we don't deny that. But if you've read Revelation chapter 1, it clearly says there the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. So there's no doubt about what we're dealing with here. It cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Now we've already read that phrase, stamped upon something. Remember that in verse 7? That's what the king of Greece did to media Persia. It stamped upon them. It, it decimated them. So this little horn, this antichrist is going to wax great and then he is going to cast down some angels and decimate them. If, if I'm trying to be true to the passage, that's what I'm reading. Now, I must admit, if, when I read that, I think, how? How could he do that? But hold your place here. Let's get some scripture to help us fill this in. Get Revelation chapter 3. Revelation, I'm sorry, chapter 13, forgive me. Revelation chapter 13. And verse number three. <clears throat> Revelation 13. And verse number three. In this chapter, we're reading about the, in verses one and two, the kingdom of the Antichrist, which will shortly come, come to pass in, in our day and time. In verse three, it says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, right? The, the great red dragon, the Bible tells us that is Satan. But Satan has a kingdom that he's going to establish on the earth. It has seven heads. These seven heads represent seven kings that at one time or another have ruled over the world. Now you can go through history. We've already had six of them. The seventh one, the last one that's going to rise is the Antichrist. All right? So we've read in Daniel 7, and I'm moving quickly and I'm going a bit deep here, so stay with me, but... If there are questions, please find me afterwards because I know this does get a, a little deep. Remember there are 10 horns that come up 
And then this little horn rises up and overtakes three, and then from that he kind of springboards and takes over everything. Right? So that's what we have in verses 1 and 2. And then the head, that last king that rules over the world, is wounded to death. He's assassinated. The, the Antichrist will be assassinated in the middle of the seven years of what we call the, the tribulation time. And we know it's in the middle because in verse 5, it says he has 42 months. After he rises back up, he has 42 months. So the timing we're sure of there. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. He will be assassinated and then raised from the dead. He is going to wax great. He will be mighty, but not by his own power. No man can do that. But in order to deceive the world, which is exactly what Satan is going to do, he is going to perform this incredible miracle. Now look at verse number four. And they worship the dragon, which gave what unto the beast? Power. You can put Daniel 8.23 next to that. He, whacked, he, he became mighty, but not by his own power. So now the people that are worshiping the beast... They're worshiping the beast because the dragon gave him power. The beast, which is the Antichrist, and the dragon, which is Satan, they become a package deal. You guys following me? They become a package deal. They are now working in concert because Satan will now inhabit that man's body. God was manifest in, in the flesh. We call him Jesus Christ. Satan will one day be manifest in the flesh. The Bible calls him Antichrist. All right, so verse number four, they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast which is like unto the beast. Who is able to make war with him? All right, now I want you to keep those verses in your mind. They are going to be incredibly intimidated of his power, but especially his military power. Who can make war with him? All right, now... Hold Revelation, because we're coming right back to here. Get 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. 2 <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3. Paul says here, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come. He's speaking about the, the rapture. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Those are other names for the Antichrist. What's he going to do? Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So what's he going to claim? He's going to claim to be divine. He's, he's going to wax mighty. He's, he's going to say blasphemous things in the temple and demand people to worship him. Come down to verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. What's the mystery of iniquity? Well, we can just flip the coin over. What do you have? The mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of godliness? 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 
God was manifest in the flesh. Flip that coin over. What's the mystery of iniquity? Oh, no doubt it's a great mystery, but it's the exact opposite. Satan manifest in the flesh. All right, verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So is Satan already manifested in the flesh? In small ways, yes. Antiochus Epiphanes, you know, he's a small picture of what the Antichrist will do. People have unclean spirits in them, right? So it's working. We read in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 4 about the spirit of Antichrist leading people into heresy and apostasy, right? So it works. The, the, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. Somebody is hindering this Antichrist. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So I'm going to, I'm going to put this forth as, as this is how I understand this part of the Bible. The Antichrist is holding back the manifestation of Satan in the flesh because Satan needs a body. He needs a human body in which to manifest himself. So when the Antichrist dies, wouldn't you know it, there's a body available. So when the man of sin is taken out of the way, now Satan says, I'm going to go down there and inhabit that body, raise it from the dead, thus giving the power of the dragon is given to that beast, and he rises back up and he says, you see everybody, I'm back. Forget about this Jesus stuff. You know, that's just mythology. You can't believe none of that. Look, you're, you're seeing me right now. I'm back from the dead. I am God. Verse number eight. And when that capital W, wicked, or I'm sorry, and then shall that wicked be revealed. You see the capital W on that? Satan is now revealed. Who's holding him back? The man of sin to die. And then there's a body available for Satan to inhabit. Now, we still haven't even dealt with everything from Daniel 8. It waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of them to the ground. We're talking about the little horn taking on stars. When, at what point does the Antichrist challenge the stars to a war? Come back to Revelation, look at chapter 12. Remember, Satan, the dragon... And the Antichrist, the beast, they merge. The two become one. Satan inhabits his body. And now the Antichrist, who was just a man, now he is the wicked revealed in the flesh. So now Satan's backstory merges with the backstory of the little horn. So watch what Satan does. Revelation 12, verse number 7. Revelation 12 and verse 7. And there was war in heaven. This, this is the biblical version of Star Wars. Okay. Right, there's no Yoda. <laughs> there's no Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> but the, you know, Boba Fett. There's none of that. But, but this is the real Star Wars here. Verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. Why? They, they lose the battle, they get cast down. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Look in verse number 3. 
There appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. So a third of the angels. Now, how many is that? I don't know. I, I don't know how many angels there are, but it's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, so now, come back to Daniel chapter 8. Let's, let's see how deep I need to take this. What I'm about to tell you, I must admit, I, I've not read it in any commentary. I'm, I'm, open, I'm open to conversation on this because I must admit, this is, a, this is where I look through the glass darkly. Okay, so I admit, if, if, you, if the Lord shows you something different, please bring the scripture to me on this. I'd, I'd love, I'm open to learning on this. But I'm trying to make sense of what I'm reading here. Daniel 8 and verse 10, it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host. We read in Revelation 12, verse 4, the dragon with his tail cast him down. Now, he cast him down by convincing a third of the angels to follow him into that heavenly battle. He loses, and they're cast down to the earth. So it says, it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. That's the phrase. Oh, I'm, I'm fine with the first half of the verse. I got other scripture to tell me what that's about. But why would the devil convince a third of the angels to follow him? Then they lose the battle. They're down on the earth. And then he decimates them? Why? Couldn't they help him take over the earth? Right. So here's where I'm going to go Hollywood on you. Okay. And I admit it. This is, just, this is just me trying to think this through. I'm going to give a biblically educated guess. All right. I hope that's okay. I, I admit where... My biblical knowledge stops and I start guessing. Here I'm guessing. Satan comes down. He's cast out of heaven. He knows he has but a short time, Revelation 12. Yes. Revelation 13, three and a half years, 42 months. And he, he raises the Antichrist from the dead and now he, the dragon gives his power to the beast. He goes into the temple, I am God. And who is able to make war with him? They, the earth will be invaded by beings from outer space. Now, I know that sounds weird, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound weird? I know some of you are like, oh boy, I'm in the wrong church. <laughs> oh man, I'm not inviting anybody to come hear this. Let me finish. <laughs> it gets weirder. <laughs> it gets weirder. If you want proof for what I'm saying, some, some of you like to doubt. <laughs> so I've got to give you proof. One day, you will be the space invader. Amen. Now, you better say amen to that because that's a biblical fact. Jesus and us, we are going to be the space invaders coming back. Amen. Amen. We're riding on white horses. Amen. So we're the space invaders. Do you, do you remember reading in Revelation chapter 16, Revelation chapter 17, these nations of the world gather together to make war against the Lamb? How do you convince earthly men that they can take down the space invaders. What if you've already done it? What if you have been invaded? All these beings have now shown up. I'm going to say millions. I think that's a fair estimate. Who knows? Hundreds of thousands, whatever the number is. These beings from outer space are now there. The Antichrist rises up, filled with Satan, and says, Don't worry. Don't worry. I got this. I'm God. I can handle this. Gather them up. 
And these angels that have been cast down, he stamps upon them. He makes a public spectacle and he says, you see, we have nothing to fear. Anything that comes from us from outer space, we got this handled. And the world says, who can make war with him? I mean, not even the people from another planet could deal with him. So we can't make war with him. Now, I admit, I'm guessing, you're more than welcome to disagree with me on that. And if that's too far-fetched, okay. But I must, you must admit, Hollywood is certainly conditioning people to accept such a story. Because those are all the box office hits. Where, where Earth overcomes powers from outer space. Right? That's, that's what people love to watch. All right. So with that being said, I'm trying to make sense of what I'm reading, but I'm very happy to learn on that. So come back to Daniel 8, and let's see what else, what what other theological trouble I can get into today. (laughs) Daniel chapter 8, verse 11. He says, Yea, he magnified himself to the prince of the host. Now when you go into the commentaries, every one of them here, well, let me say every, but almost all of them say this is Antiochus, going up against the high priest at the time of, you know, of the Jews. And that, guys, if you read the history, Antiochus, the high priest came to Antiochus, paid him a bribe, and said, I will make the Jews to become more like uh, uh, Greeks. And I mean, it, was, it doesn't match this. This isn't Antiochus. He magnified himself even to the prince of the host. Who is the prince of the host? Well, the Bible interprets itself. Look at verse 25. Through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. We'll talk about that probably next week. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. We'll talk more about that. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. Well, you can see the capital P on that. There's no doubt who you're dealing with. The prince of the host is Jesus Christ. He shall stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So Jesus can do it just by saying it, the sword coming out of his mouth, that thing. All right, so back in Daniel 8, verse 11, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. So now, after the Antichrist has come down, he has stamped out these hosts of heaven that were also, that they got cast down. Now he's going to shake his fist at the heavens and say, Look here, anything that comes this way, I can take it. I can take you down. And he's, I want to say, trash-talking the Lord Jesus. Now, where do we find this in the Bible? Come to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. And let's begin in verse number 12. This is commonly a verse that is used um, to show how the devil originally fell. People say that Lucifer was his original name, and then when he fell, he became known as Satan. That, that's, that story is not in the Bible. There's nothing about this context that would say that this is when the devil originally fell. That story is in Ezekiel chapter 28 but not here in Isaiah 14. And I'll show you how we know that. It's quite easy to see that, I think. In verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The word Lucifer means light bearer. Guys, he is still a light bearer. And I'm not talking about the light of truth. 
But don't you remember reading in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 where it says he appears as an angel of light? O Lucifer, there he is. How art thou fallen from heaven? Didn't we just read that in Revelation 12? That's when he falls from heaven, right in the middle of the tribulation time. So scripture with scripture, we know when this is happening. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? So he, he was God's, one of God's first creations. So son of the morning refers to that. How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? So by the time verse 12 is happening, he has already weakened the nations. So that cannot be when the devil fell before the creation of the world. It can't be. There were no nations to weaken then. It has to be some other time. And the Bible tells us when that is. Verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Why? Because he's been cast down to the earth. He's inhabited the body of the Antichrist. He's convinced the world, I am God. He's forced all of them to worship him. Take the, the number, the name, or the mark. Right? And now, he's shaking his fist at the prince of princes. And he's saying, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You see the claims he's making. I'm going to take over. Not just earth. I've conquered earth. That was a small thing. Come on. One little planet, not a big deal. I want the whole universe. I want to run the whole show. So he's magnifying himself against the prince of the host. He says in verse 15, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. That's Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. He gets cast into a lake of fire. Verse 16, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this, what are the next two words? Is this what? The man. Lucifer fell. Lucifer said, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. And it was a man. There's only one explanation for that. Lucifer was inside a man's body. This is the Antichrist. So he says, is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? Yes. The whole world wonders after him. Verse 17, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners. Right? He is going to be putting them in prison, left, right, and center, for not worshiping him, for not taking the mark. Verse 18, all the kings of the nations, even all of them lie in glory, everyone in his own house. So they have graves and beautiful tombs and sepulchers. He says, but thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch, and as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with a sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet. He, he won't be buried. He gets stamped upon when, when Jesus comes back, battle of Armageddon, and then he's tossed into the lake of fire. He doesn't have a grave. Verse 20, thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people. The seed of evildoers shall never be renowned. So he does away with them. I come back to Daniel 8. Verse number 11, yea, magnified himself even to the prince of the host and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. This is because he's gone into the temple and he has said that I am God and from this point, Jesus told us in Matthew 24, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, run, 
get out of here. Why? Because the Gentiles will take over the temple area for, that, for those three and a half years while the Antichrist is ruling. He cast it down. He, he makes it of none effect in verse 12. And host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. So now the, the powers, the military powers of the world stand on the side of the Antichrist. And anybody that tries to approach that temple, they take him down. Military power. And host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of transgression. And it cast down the truth to the ground. And it pro- practiced and prospered. How is this? When the Antichrist goes into the temple and says, I am God, he has a right-hand man. There's Batman, there's Robin, there's the Antichrist, there's the false prophet. The false prophet will rise up and say, all hail, all hail, God has come down in the flesh. And he will command the world to make an image for the beast. To commemorate this great day, this inauguration of God sitting upon his throne on the earth. And they make that idol, and he brings the idol to life. This is Revelation chapter 13. And that idol, that image, begins to speak and to teach and forces the world to take that mark, that name, or that number. That's the thing that is practicing and prospering. Everything the Antichrist wants to do, he can make it happen, and it works. But, but he only has a short time to do it. So he tries to work quickly. All right, so we're going to stop in verse 12. I think you've got plenty to chew on there. We'll go back over this a little bit as we finish the chapter because there are a few more details that we'll, we'll get as we get the interpretation. So, This is where if we were in Bible school, I'd say any questions, but I, I fear. <laughs> I fear to do that at this point. So <laughs> let's just pray about this and we'll, we'll dismiss you for now. Father, thank you for allowing us to search the scriptures this morning. And, and Lord, we admit, we admit, I admit, uh, we're looking through the glass darkly. Lord, uh, we know what you've told us, and we look forward to the day that you call us home, and we will see all of this unfold, but from a very different perspective. But Lord, until that time, we want to be faithful students of the Bible. Continue to teach us and prepare us for what is coming. And Lord, I ask that you bless our fellowship, the service to come, Lord, as we talk about things that that are happening right now in our lives. I pray you prepare our hearts to receive that.